sometimes the things that seem like your disadvantages can be your advantages. There was really no one in my life to say like, are you crazy? Don't drop out. It was the best thing I ever did. If I hadn't dropped out, I would have racked up way too many loans and I wouldn't have been able to start a business. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Hey everyone, it's Carly. This show might sound a bit different today because we are still working from home because of COVID-19. Danielle is also out today and she will be back next week. Today, Jenny Britton-Bauer joins us on Skim from the Couch. Jenny is the founder and chief creative officer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams, an artisanal ice cream company you can find in grocery stores around the country and in my own freezer. And it is a personal favorite at Skim HQ. Jenny has probably one of the most unique jobs of anyone we have ever had on the show. I am so excited to get into this conversation. Jenny, welcome to Skim from the Couch. Hi. Well, I made my own job. So, you know, if you make your own job, you can just then you can do whatever you want. You can be an ice cream maker. <laughs> so, Jenny, I'm always sad if Danielle is like out, but I'm actually so happy she is out because I get to just talk to you alone. She would make so much fun of me right now. I have the biggest sweet tooth. So if there was ever a podcast for me to record by myself, it is this one. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I do want to just like jump in and tell a funny story of how we almost met in person once, which is, I don't know if you remember this, it was the skin's third office, we had an elevator that opened right into our office. And there were a bunch of companies in in the same building. And we had somebody on our team who at the time was just absolutely like your number one biggest fan in the world. And the elevator door opens, you happen to be in the elevator and this girl on our team just like screams because you are her hero. And she all of a sudden, I just hear Jenny. (laughs) And it's you Uh going to a meeting in our building. No, that was one of my favorite, favorite moments. I was actually like confused in the elevator trying to get to, and I, and I, I must've, you know, pushed the floor, your floor or whatever, instead of the where I was supposed to go. And I was just trying to figure it out. And then I, the, the elevator opens and everybody's looking at me because, you know, you're off, it just goes right into the office. And then Jenny. And, and also I was already a fan. And so I got to, you know, it was really fun. I got to, they showed me around and gave me all the mugs and everything. And it was so fun. Yeah, no, it was really like one of my favorite moments. Uh, it was a good story. So let's jump in with how we like to start all of our interviews, which is just skim your resume for us. My resume is a skim. I mean, I, I quit art. <laughs> I quit art school to make ice cream to start a little shop in the North Market, which is our indoor public market in 1996. And I've never had another job. And just for our listeners who don't know where you're based, you're in Ohio. I'm in I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So I really went from like high school jobs and you know like working at the bakery in college to starting my own business, and that was 20 something years ago. What is something that we cannot Google about you that we should know? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, actually, a lot of things, but not, not, maybe not that you should know. I love driving. I'm a like uh, track driver. I like um, my car a lot. I have a, just a GTI, but it's super modded out. And, you know, I go out to the track and drive really fast, and I like that. 
Well, we may have a lot of in common about ice cream. I think we just found our big difference, which is I learned to drive not too long ago. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and Danielle is still learning. <laughs> oh my gosh. When we were when I was reading about your story, something that really struck me was just that you've always known and identified as a very creative person. And it's clear, you know, in, in just reading about you, like you probably would have ended up doing something very creative and ice cream is something that you found and became your outlet. But did you always think you were going to be an entrepreneur? I did. I've always had that. I just always had that independent sort of way of thinking, way of approaching the world. And so I knew... Somebody told me about it when I was very young. I mean, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. I mean, just like he, you know, he had a little, like a cleaning company after work where he would go clean offices. My grandmother said, I remember she said this to me, you know, if you can't find a job, make one. And so we would like go pick all the marigolds and like let them dry out and then go sell them back to the the neighbors, you know, later on. I just always felt like it was freedom. And I guess even from a very young age, as early as I can remember, I always wanted to take responsibility for all of that in my life. In fact, I don't know if I was ever a kid. I always felt like I, I wanted, I was, you know, always mad that people looked at me as a kid. I always wanted to be a grown up when I was even a kid just to take over my, my life and take ownership of that. I I mean, likewise, I couldn't sit in class. I don't like being told what to do. I think I'm a very nice person. I'm a very community spirited person. I, I come from a place of service and I'm a total introvert, but I also like can't follow rules <laughs> at all. <laughs> when did you realize that my favorite dessert was going to be your thing? You know, it was funny. My grandmother said to me, like when I was 10 years old, she said, I was running by her. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother when I was growing up. She was like, um, Jenny, she stopped me and she was like, you are so lucky. I don't know what she must've been thinking about, but she was like, you are so lucky. Your generation of women can do whatever you want to do. You can be a astronaut if you want to, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever. It, It wasn't like that for me. And I was like, yeah, I know, Grandma. Okay, thanks. And I ran off. And I remember when my—I like literally remember when my feet hit the grass out the back door. I was barefoot, and I remember thinking, like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be like an ice cream maker. Growing up in Peoria, Illinois, I liked the Midwestern sort of—that's you know, ice cream is something we do everyone on the weekends or all summer long. And it was just like, it was like, that just always seemed like the happy place to me. In fact, I don't even think I ever looked at ice cream like dessert. I mean, I thought of like cakes and pies and things like that, like dessert. Ice cream really felt more like a culture to me, like a thing, like more like seeing a movie. You know, you would go out with your family. You would, it was a whole process of standing in line, thinking about what you were going to order. It it goes back to sort of who am I? Like what I order everybody knows what I'm going to order. So I got to order something that represents me. And so everybody's thinking that way at the ice cream counter. And I tapped into that very young. I knew that my first job would be at an ice cream shop. And then one opened in my neighborhood, right? When I was 15 years old, I got a work permit and, you know, got that job. So it's always been there with me. I don't think I realized that I would be in the ice cream business though, because weirdly it wasn't my favorite dessert. So I really thought I was going to maybe be a pastry chef or something like that. Or then I studied art in school. My grandmother was an art teacher and an artist, and so I was really going that direction. And it really wasn't until I started doing all these other things when I realized the power and the potential of ice cream to tell stories and to um, actually hold scent. I want you to go back to ice cream. It's about scent, because when I think about ice cream, that's not the first thing I think about. 
Butter fat is, is the fat that's in cream, but it's what makes butter. So if you take everything else, almost everything else out of cream, you have butter. Ancient perfumers would use fats. They didn't have the alcohols that we have now. So they would use fats to put scent into. So butter fat, you can load up with scent. It carries scent, but also it melts below body temperature, but it's solid at room temperature. So once you lock in the scent and then in cream, you freeze it in there. As soon as it hits your tongue, all of that scent comes out. So I knew this because I loved ice cream so much, but also because I knew this French guy, this adorable Parisian dude who worked in the chemistry department at Ohio State University. And he told me all about all of this stuff and I'd been exploring it. And so I was um, really in a time where I was doing a lot of things that I loved doing and nothing that I didn't like doing. (laughs) I didn't take math or, um, you know, some other classes I was supposed to take at Ohio State, but I really like spent a lot of time with Julie and learning about uh, perfuming. Anyway, so then it was like, I realized that that ice cream is this perfect carrier of scent. What I love about the show is like, you know, we have all these different entrepreneurs and everyone's passion about what they do is so strong and uncover something that I don't think about. And none of us think about if it's not the thing you do every day. All of us have, you know, when we look back on our life, like we have different forks in the road of like, you know, thank goodness I chose that path. But at the time you probably don't even realize it's a fork or you're like, this was the hardest thing to go through. You dropping out of college. I want you to take us back to like that moment, that thought process. Sometimes the things that seem like your disadvantages can be your advantages. I mean, I didn't have parents who I was really on my own at that time. My dad had been out of my life for a long time and my mother uh, was just really sick. And so there was really no one in my life to say like, are you crazy? Don't drop out. It was the best thing I ever did. If I hadn't dropped out, I would have racked up way too many loans and I wouldn't have been able to start a business. But I will take you back to that moment because it was really funny. I was I had been making ice cream for a few weeks and I was just really into it. And I'd had this moment with ice cream where I realized kind of everything all at once. And it was like an epiphany for me. And I was like, I, I could see my future in ice cream. And I didn't have any money and I didn't have any family to give me money. I had nothing. So I had to figure out how to make that work. But I was sitting in art class and I, well, actually it was like the beginning of class and we were, it's a figure drawing class. And those are three hours long. And a model walked in that I just hated drawing and she's super tall and very slender and she's beautiful, but I like the big rounder, like the round models. I like to draw big. And I was just sitting there like, kind of like I was depressed. I was just like, I can't sit here for three hours and work this person out while I think about ice cream. And so I almost felt broken and I got up and like walked around everybody and left quietly, which meant I left my drawing uh, materials there, all of my paper and never went back. You literally just walked out? I walked out and I left my art supplies. And you know, you're talking to somebody who like had, was on loans, was on grants. I couldn't afford those on my own. They're very expensive. Art supplies are very expensive for, for studying artists. And I just knew I wasn't going back and I didn't. This is out of a movie. You get up, you walk outside. (laughs) Are you just like, oh shit, what did I just do? Or are you skipping away? I was liberated. I walked out and like it was spring and I um, rode my bike home. It was a long bike ride and like made ice cream. I went in my kitchen and made ice cream. What was the first flavor you made? You know what? I don't remember. That's funny. I don't remember what it was. You know, I remember the first flavor I made that like changed my life. It was rose and uh, and and a spicy chocolate. Scream ice cream. And that's what happened. Talk to us about scream. I I didn't know this part of 
of your story. I had known that you had had another brand, but I, I didn't really know about Scream. So, so walk us through how you got started and, and kind of what happened there. Well, so I had a friend and her parents had some money and like, you know, so they were going to invest, you know, $30,000 or $25,000 to get us uh, the machines or whatever. So she was like going to be my business partner in this thing. She had another business. And so it was like, I was going to run it. And we were going to be business partners. So I did. So for four years, I was in the market every day. The market is an indoor public market. It's the oldest one in the in the Midwest, actually. It continually operated since like 1850 or something. But it has, you know, several produce vendors. All the farmers come in on the weekends. It's got bakers and, you know, cheesemongers and fishmongers and, you know, the butcher and all of that. So, I mean, it's just a beautiful place to be, especially as an ice cream maker, learning about all this stuff. So I kind of thought, you know, this is going to be great. You know, I thought like a lot of entrepreneurs think, as soon as I turn over my sign to say I'm open, it's going to be like this super big line. And uh, everybody's going to be, you know, so excited about this artist slash ice cream maker at the market. Well, no one was that excited about it. I mean, I had so much to learn about how to bring people in and how to reach people. And that's really, I think, what I did during those four years. I learned how to make ice cream for one thing, because I didn't, I, I realized I didn't really know what I was doing. But I wanted to make it from scratch. And so there, it's a very comp. The reason that nobody does that is because it's nearly impossible. I've learned that now. But so I was doing that and I had a lot to learn. But all of the foundation, I think, over those four years of everything that we're doing today, all of the possibilities that I know and believe in are from that time. Uh, those boots on the ground, four years where I just made ice cream every day using beautiful ingredients and then fed it to people and listened to their feedback immediately. Ultimately, the business never, it just never took off and it didn't work. And I think the reason was, or I learned later that it was because I was just kind of thinking of myself, I think a little too much as an artist. So I was thinking like, make something new every day, depending on whatever the season is or whatever my whims are, whatever is going on in pop culture. And people will just be delighted in that. You know, what does Jenny have today? And no one really cared that much. In fact, what, what happened is that I made some really great flavors like salty caramel, but I knew everybody loved it, but I didn't feel the need to have it every day. You know what I mean? So it was like constant disappointment. But when I closed Scream, I realized that I think, you know, I was like at another business and I realized that like, hey, and the only reason I'm here is because of what I had last time. I'm not here for your new stuff. You might change my mind while, you know, after I get here but I'm only here because of what I had last time. And once I realized that we all think that way, even the most adventurous of us, then I started writing a new plan to open again, a new better plan. And that included signature flavors that I knew everyone loved and that would bring people back these, what I always call a craveable reason to return. So when I opened Jenny's, I had that whole, that kind of worked out, but that was kind of the mistake of Scream. It took me a long time to realize. I mean, I had to close and reflect and think about other businesses and what brought me into those in order to understand my failure at Scream. My favorite thing in doing the show is when we talk to people like you, which is also people like us who didn't start off as businesswomen. We didn't come into whatever it is that we do because we took a lot of business classes or got an MBA and a passion teaches you how to run a business and you kind of learn as you go. And so I'm always fascinated by how other people did it. And I'm curious because listening to you kind of retell that story, you know, I think you contextualize it in a, in a really like strong executive way, which is like, you know, it's great that this happened. I learned what the customer wanted. We pivoted in those four years though, the hustle and perseverance that you obviously had like every day killing yourself to make, you know, new ice cream every single day and, and learn how to make money from it. Who did you lean on? Who are you going to, to help you get those business skills? 
I mean, I was learning from the other merchants in the market. First of all, I think I'm maybe the only one in America who thinks this. I think that business or let's say maybe not business, business is the opposite, but entrepreneurship is fundamental. I think you're in, it's innate. We are born with the skills to trade up, you know what I mean? To make something and trade with each other and to want to make things better and that curiosity. And so I think that much of this is actually very, very simple. Um, so I learned from the merchants of the market. It's about caring for others. It's about creating a sense of belonging. It's about listening, feedback. It's about what you want to do, merging your passion with what other people want. It's about putting your name on it. You know what I mean? Like what is quality and what do these people want? What's the standard that we're creating together? And being open to that is everything. That's your business. That's what creates your business. Everything else, I mean, for in terms of like actual business, business acumen, you know, the law of business and the you know marketing and all that and HR and finance, all of that you can hire people for. Everybody who's getting an MBA is going to work for somebody like me, right? I mean, not everybody, but you know what I mean? I think that if you really want to start a business, go learn about your customers. Go spend time actually making something. And there's so many different kinds of businesses, of course, in America. So everybody has to do it a different way. But I, I come from the start small and build, you know, world of business. And I think from there, you can do almost anything that you want, even like when you're a kid, like you don't even have to wait till you're grown up. Right. So that's really what I did. It's just one foot in front of the other one dollar. It just stretched it as far as I possibly could every single time. So and to this day, when you give us one of your dollars as a customer, we want to do the absolute most with that, which includes paying people fairly and buying, you know, ingredients that are, you know, really beautiful and grown for us directly from a maker or grower, um, and, you know, and just stretching it as far as we possibly can, taking care of those resources. So when we talk about things like efficiency in the business world, I just think of honoring your investment in our company, really, you know, this, this um, partnership that we have with our customers that says, like, we're going to be here, we're going to do the best we possibly can with this dollar you just gave us. So that next time you come in, it's going to be the same and actually maybe even better. Like we talk about getting better all the time here. So you move on from Scream and you ultimately start Jenny's. You started this podcast by saying that you're an introvert. So I'm really struck by an introvert put their name front and center on their brand. Not only that, but an, a Midwesterner. And so that was something I did not want to do. I mean, it made me physically ill to consider it. And I'll tell you how it ended up happening and why it was the best thing I ever did. I was so against it. I had all these other names. I couldn't call it Scream because we did, I didn't get the trademark on it anyway. And I, I was sort of moving on from that. So I had all these other names and I was running them by people. And everyone was like, are you joking? Like, here's the thing. You had Scream. No one called it Scream. Everybody called it Jenny's because you were there every single day. So nobody said, let's go to Scream. They said, let's go to Jenny's. And now you're going to add this third name that no one knows. You're not going to be able to link back into any of the successes that you had. I mean, in Columbus, a lot of people knew me from that time. And you're now going to try to call it something different. Like it doesn't make sense. And so many people came to that conclusion, like right when I was trying to sort of pitch other names, that I, I couldn't disagree with that. I really couldn't because I knew that that was true. So I called it Jenny's. And I remember like the first week I was working, it might've been two weeks in and I was like just dead exhausted. I mean, I had been working all nighters. It was just me and like one high school kid. And we were slammed because we had gotten things right this time. And so I was slammed beyond what I had ever thought was possible. And I had been making ice cream really late on a Friday night. And uh, the next day was Saturday, which is our busiest day in the market. And I had this like massive pile of bucket dishes, buckets that I had to wash, right? The dish tank. 
by hand. And it was probably 200 of them. And it was like midnight. I was so tired that like my feet weren't fitting into my Crocs. That is when you know you have a problem. (laughs) I was so beat, just beat. And I was like, you know what? At Scream, I would have gone home because I know that like no one's going to come to the ice cream shop at eight in the morning. We have to open at eight in the morning. So I can wash these dishes tomorrow morning between eight and 10 and we won't have any customers and that'll be fine. At Scream, I would have done that. No problem. And so I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do this more. So I turned around, I took off my apron and I look up and at the time we didn't even have a real sign. We, I literally had printed it at Kinko's and it was a piece of paper and it was like in Times New Roman. And I looked around and there was happened to be a light shining right on it. And it said, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. And I was like, holy shit. And I turned around and did all the dishes. I mean, literally I was like, I have to put my name on everything we do. This is me. This isn't like something I can disconnect with. It reinvigorated me literally for the rest of my life afterward. I've never not finished with the work that I need to do since then, no matter what it takes. I mean, it really pushes you when you represent your standards, your quality, your customers, your community. And now I represent a community of 1,200 people who who are just amazing and who work the counters and, and work in our company. And, you know, it's not just me. And I take it very, very seriously. I think one of the hardest things to scale a business when you're the founder is building a team that cares as much as you do. And in many ways, nobody will ever care as much as you do. But you come really close because you built this you scaled this with family. Walk me through the decision to to bring on eventually your husband, your brother-in-law. What is that like to do that with family dynamics? First of all, these guys were, were guys that I brought into my life. So, you know, they're not, I mean, you know, we all have different things. This is how I have thought about it. You know, you don't really choose your family that you're born into. And, and, and my family is great. But Charlie was somebody that I had brought into my life and his brother was great. They were very different from each other and very different from me. We all had different skills. And so, I don't know, we, we became this sort of trio that kind of worked. Charlie's very analytical. Tom's a doer. And I'm sort of a visionary. Our skills didn't overlap. And so it ended up working out perfectly. We really were, were worked well together in those early years. And you do need people you can trust. I have lots of friends who are entrepreneurs, emerging entrepreneurs, and sort of in that same place now that I was then. And, you know, every one of them has that sort of right hand person or, or two that they really rely on. You have to have those people. And of course, I made these people my business partners, you know, so that they were invested in the business and wanted to see it through. And that I think is really important. I mean, you have, I really believe you have to keep your equity close to you. Don't give it up too early because you will need it when you get into trouble, which you will. Or I mean, if you're around long enough, you're going to need it. But it is important to get people who are locked in. And especially if you're married to them and it, you know, in fact, Charlie and I weren't even married. We didn't get married for several more years. But the business was, in a way, kind of our marriage. (laughs) What happens when you disagree and you have to come home with that person? Oh, I mean, you have to be clear who's the boss. I mean, this wouldn't have worked if Charlie thought he was the boss or Tom. But they'll be the first ones to say it. You know, I work for Jenny. And when we're in that, that when we're working, that's how it is. But then, you know, you have to be able to turn that off when you go home, too, because clearly I'm not going to act like somebody's boss, like my husband's boss when I go home. And, you know... The truth is, Charlie and I did such different roles in the company that I didn't have to ask. You know, I wasn't like bossing him around all day long. I mean, he's really a community-spirited guy. We, we both are, but in different ways. And so if we had had overlapping skills, that would have probably been impossible. So that's part of that dynamic. If you have that with someone, then it works. And if you don't, then I wouldn't recommend it because this is a very hard thing to do. In 2015, Listeria was found in a pint of Jenny's ice cream in Nebraska. 
And you and your team suddenly had to navigate a really complex, difficult food safety crisis. Today, a lot of companies, while they might not be going through a food safety crisis necessarily, are going through a crisis given the the pandemic happening. How did you lead through that? We obviously did not want to get that phone call. That was not a phone call that we ever expected to get. So it hit us like a meteor. You know, I mean, it was just, it was a game-ending, immediate moment for us and changed everything in literally a flash. We had practiced recalls, thankfully. So we knew how to do some of that. We were not prepared for 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 what was you know about to happen, and, and really, I think that we didn't we didn't exactly know what to do, but we knew we could fall back on our values. We're a values led group, you know. I think of our company not as a business, but a company of human beings and people, and we are led by our values. You know, it, when you have limited resources, you can only do so much. We all want to make the you know so everything better in the world and whatever, but like you know, you can only do so much. But we are very much we use our values to determine what we do. So in the time when we didn't know what to do exactly, that was exactly what we fell back on. Just we were like, what, what is the first thing we need to do? Well, the first thing we need to do is make sure that no one gets sick. So prevent an outbreak of listeria. And so we recalled everything. And by doing that, we prevented an outbreak. No one got sick, thankfully. So we did that very quickly. That was the first thing we thought of. Well, then we like open up our eyes and see that, okay, now we just burn the business down to the ground. We have nothing. We were literally coming out of winter. We had nothing on which to go. We had just nothing, no no money. Our company was worth probably less than zero at that point. And then it was like this extraordinary slog back up the mountain, which took years. But because we had made the right choices and we were together and we believed in ourselves and we knew that we'd make the right choices, I think there, we got this sort of extra energy from that and, uh, and passion through proving ourselves, I think, that led us and got us back and also brought our customers along with us. You know, we were, we were able to show that, that you know, you, you've always known that we were a values-based company or a community-spirited company, but now we, we get a chance to show you that that's true. And we did. And I think that's why we came out actually better than we went into it. So now we're in a time of COVID. A lot of these lessons that we've learned are, are back for us. So one of the things specifically that we did was create like a daily meeting. So communication is so important in crisis. Every business is going to end up in a crisis at some point. So right now we are very much in crisis. Small business across America, all business, but, but, but small business across America is in crisis. So be aware of what you're going through because you may end up here again and you're going to, you're never going to not have these skills now, hopefully. But one thing is communication. Today, it's a little bit, uh, it's in some ways more difficult. In some ways it's easier because we're all going through this together. We can't make plans. We can't have a vision. We can't create strategy. We can't even create a budget. We can't order. We don't know what to, to, to stock up on an inventory because we don't know when this is going to be over, you know? Um, and so strong leadership would have understood that, look, we're going to find a way to, to get through this, whether it's mask wearing, which will give us eight weeks. Okay, great. So we can then as businesses decide, okay, in eight weeks, we're going to get back to some kind of normal. Right now we're all looking at, I think most businesses across America, we're looking at next year or maybe two years from now, getting back to some other kind of normal. And so how do you plan for all of that when everything at the bottom keeps dropping out? How are you staying calm? Team, uh, because we have such a great team. It wasn't calm at first. It was very scary, but we believe that we will survive. What we did also this time was we trained, we changed our mission statement, like for the first time ever, we're very mission driven company. Like every dollar you give us goes to making things better for us or for our team and bringing people together. Those are the two things we do. And so we, we, we put that on hold. And right now we have two 
two goals and that is it. One is to keep everyone safe, our, our team and our um, customers. And if that means checking in on people who live alone, like all of it, we're, we're really focused on how do we keep everybody safe? And then the second thing is survival. We're like, whatever we have to do to survive. And I know, you know, there are so many companies running sales, like almost constantly now, whatever we have to do to make sales, because you may see a line out our door, but understand that we're still down 50%. You know what I mean? And so I think that it's easy to think that like, oh, look at all these restaurants. They have people in the, in the parking spaces out front. They've created new patios. The economy is back. It's not. This is going to be with us for a very long time. It's not at all. Most businesses are down at least 50%. Taking kind of a step back before we go into our last segment, I'm just curious, was there a singular moment where you realized this is working? This is a success. This is a big deal. There have been several moments like that. Just seeing the line at Jenny's versus Scream, I, I knew from the beginning that, okay, we have, and I and I was a fighter in those early days. Like I wasn't going to lose another business. So that was one. And, and I remember when a, a chef put a really great chef here, put us on their menu. I mean, it was just a moment for me. And then one other one was when we first, we opened our first Nashville shop. We have family in Nashville. Nashville is kind of a second home for me. I was there and I, we were just about to open and we were, we give out free ice cream. And I go to every shop opening we've ever had. I'm always there. And, um, and for a few hours I walked out and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like there are literally thousands of people here and, um, it must be like, they must've had a festival or something today as well in this giant parking lot. So what a great day to open. Well, they were all there for us. Wow. People had brought chairs, you know, people were like umbrellas and chairs and they were playing cards and they knew they were going to be waiting for four or five hours to get ice cream. And I was just like, holy shit, that's amazing. <laughs> so, I love and, and something that we will never take for granted ever, ever. Okay. We're going to move into our lightning round segment. Rules are, are simple, but it's tricky. I'm going to give you rapid fire questions. You have to answer as quickly as possible. Okay. Morning person or night owl? Night Owl. Last TV show you streamed or binge watched? It was uh, The Great on Hulu. It was fantastic. Favorite flavor you've ever developed? Oh, God. Um, a brown butter almond bro. I eat it every night, every single night. That was my second question. I was going to be, do you eat ice cream every day? I eat ice cream several times a day usually. I know this is a lightning round, but I have to say, I balance it. I do not drink alcohol. I don't drink any calories ever. And I do eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. So I'm very aware. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Worst professional mistake you've made? Hiring friends? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, that, that's not always been bad, but it's a very hard thing to do. You, you ruin relationships. Last time you negotiated for yourself? Yesterday and also uh, in 11 minutes from now. <laughs> Constantly. Who is somebody we should have on this show? There's an incredible entrepreneur community in Birmingham right now. There's a little store that I love called Club Duquette. Uh, just talking to the entrepreneur community in Birmingham might be kind of fun. Or Tampa, St. Pete. We would love to talk to people that you think we should have on the show. So we will follow up with you. America is just full of, of entrepreneurship and wonderful things happening right now. My last question, what do I have to do to have uh, a flavor named after the skin? Well, it depends on if you want me to make lots of it or if we want to just do a recipe you can make at home. That's easier. No, I want, I want everybody to have it. <laughs> okay. I don't we'll know. We'll have to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> Jenny, it is such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Congratulations on everything. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Hi, everyone. We're trying something new. During this time of economic uncertainty, we want to take a moment to spotlight some new female-founded companies. We've heard from many incredible skimmers who are leading small businesses, and we will be introducing them to you each week on Skim from the Couch. See the link in our episode description for how to submit yourself or a friend.
My name is Libby Fitzgerald, and I'm the founder and CEO of Seastar Beachwear. At Seastar Beachwear, we make stylish, water-friendly shoes and accessories for women, men, and kids that dry in the sun in 15 minutes. We've reimagined the timeless espadrille design with a neoprene upper and a protective rubber sole to create the only espadrille that doubles as a water shoe. The neoprene fabric is breathable and quick drying, while the rubber deck shoe sole makes a safe jump from beach to boat and beyond. The shoes are multifunctional, transitioning from ocean swimming and strolling rocky beaches to walking around town on city pavement and in the rain. I launched Seastar Beachwear in the summer of 2015 to fill a void in the market for a quality, functional water shoe that was attractive, durable for walking, boating, and biking, and protective in the water. At the time, no water shoe that combined style and function existed. As an entrepreneur, I wanted to start a company that would fulfill a need, create something that didn't exist previously, and solve a problem. I wanted my product to be unique, affordable, and scalable. These goals, combined with my love of travel, exotic lands, warm weather, and the ocean, made the idea of Sea Star Beachwear water-friendly espadrilles perfect for me to pursue. We are a small startup, and every order we receive helps to keep us going. We work hard to keep our employees on the payroll, our network of independent consultants engaged, and boutique stores supplied with our products. Supporting Sea Star Beachwear helps us to support the community around us, a largely female one, and the individuals who make up that community. You can find us at seastarbeachwear.com and on Instagram at seastarbeachwear. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.